the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It's Monday, November 6th, almost through week nine of the NFL season. We're going to start with the NFL. Got a couple of Major League Baseball items to get to because, surprise, most of you probably don't even know, today's the official start of the 2024 league year. Free agency will begin this afternoon. Option decisions are due. Basically, the uh, 40-man rosters for 2024, at least initially speaking, will be composed and locked from an initial standpoint today at 4 p.m. And then onward, upward to the non-tenders, the arbitration players, and plenty of movement. We've already seen a trade. We've seen plenty of players get tossed around a little bit here, certainly outright and designated. But lots of movement, lots of behind-the-scenes workings happening. We've been ready for about two weeks at Spot Track, thanks to the work of Dan Soman. And uh, we've got some gold glove announcements to get to, and then a timeline. Because again, how many of you actually knew today was the start of the Major League Baseball offseason? There's plenty more items on that schedule to get to at the back end of this show. Montez Sweat. The Bears finally made right, right? We uh, we joked around last week when the trade went down that the Bears gave up a second round pick for a rental until otherwise noted. It has been otherwise noted. It's a four-year, $98 million extension, pretty much on the nails for the prediction valuation we had posted on spotrick.com. And Rashawn Gary's deal in Green Bay was basically the uh, the cemented foundation for this thing, right? Because that player has been electric on a weird Green Bay team. Montez Sweat has had production, and there's a lot of people out there saying this guy's in at 10 sacks, and is he really a production guy? Look at that defensive line he just left. <clears throat> Absolutely loaded <clears throat> with superstars, excuse me, right? I mean, he was a cog on the wheel on a very deep, very good Washington line that you know, didn't translate to a lot of wins for the commanders, but that's not his role with the Chicago team. He is, for all intents and purposes, an Aaron Donald role for this Bears team. Move all over, get to the quarterback, stuff the run, do everything. They are paying him to do everything. So nothing about this contract is overpaid until he doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. I believe he will. I believe he's an SEC player who can drop into an, any defensive line and make an impact. And especially with the space he's going to be given on this one, I really do think that come next season, we're going to be talking about this guy as one of the best defensive tackles in the league, defensive lineman in the league. Again, inside and outside, up and down. It's four years, 98 million. That's five for 105 total. The cap number dropped about a mil and a half for the rest of 2023 for Chicago. Remember, there was a lot of retained salary from Washington on their end and that fifth year option. So in my opinion, and the Bears may do otherwise because it's their salary cap, not mine, they could run this thing out for the next three seasons, which is the practical guarantee, and never touch these cap hits. 4.7 for the rest of this year, 25 million and change next year, 25 million and change in 2025. If you do that based on a 245 and a 255 salary cap for the next two seasons, and, you know, Justin Fields is your quarterback or Tyson Badgett, whatever you're going to do there, even if it's Caleb Williams, for Christ's sake. Nothing damaging there in a cap perspective. You don't have many weapons to pay right now on the salary cap. DJ Moore is your breadwinner in that regard. Cole Komet's contract is pretty cap friendly. 
So you're going to pump money into the defensive line, into the offensive line, and they're going to have to do something with the secondary. Jalen Johnson should get an extension now that he wasn't traded at this deadline. That's probably the next the item on the docket for Chicago. But they're still in the process of paying their core players. To be frank, this was one of the first. You know, you can say Cole Komet was one of them. This was one of the first big contracts that is at least has intention to become the next Bears core offensive and defensive lineman players. I don't know what they're going to do with quarterback. Okay. Here's the good news. I have a certain set of rules that I've adopted over the past 12 or so years with this NFL stuff. This is a contract you pay even if you have no clue who your quarterback is going to be. It's why I love the Jeffrey Simmons deal in Tennessee. It's why I'll continue to say that bad teams should build out of the trenches and pay out of the trenches. It's what the Cowboys have done. They should be able to get to the finish line. They're never going to get there. But the Bears, I think, are finally turning the corner. Can they do so with their offensive line? Maybe. They've drafted, I think, okay in that regard the past couple of seasons. They're going to have to do it again this year. Anybody thinking they're going Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr. at the top of this draft is crazy. All right? Maybe they do a quarterback, but they've got to do an offensive lineman. They have to. All right? They have to put the card before the horse here. So, again, a trenches contract, a good one. Three for 63, practically speaking. Uh, there's a $10 million rolling guarantee in 2026. He's going to have to get there to get it. All right? This is three years of early vesting guarantees and then pay as you go for the last two two years and 42 million on this contract. So, you know, it's 20 million plus on an adjusted APOI in terms of the guarantee. It's exactly where we thought this player was going to be. If you want to call it 24 and a half million, that's what it is in terms of new money, new years, which is exactly where we had him from a valuation standpoint. So I think the bears hit all the notes here, giving up the second round pick stings. And certainly for that franchise that had to go through the chase Claypool situation, but, and I've heard this quite a bit, and I agree. You don't find these kind of players in the second round, all right? He was the number 26 overall pick back in 2019. You're not going to find at least the ceiling that Montez Sweat offers in the second round, even if it's the 33rd pick or the 34th pick. So I agree with this move. I think it's a good midseason acquisition now. It's not going to help their 2023, but this contract now lays out the groundwork for the Bears to build around this. Like I said, drop in a Jalen Johnson contract, fortify the offensive line almost exclusively this offseason, probably bring in another quarterback, unless you believe Justin Fields has earned another year, though the health stuff has to be a concern. And then you keep on going because this division is weakening. So it's the right time for the Bears to really be pushing. So again, more reason to like this contract. You can say this player hasn't earned it. They're earning this money. You're right. They are paying for a player that has not produced to this level yet, but they have expectations, they have availability, and they have a need. And they're the bears. And I'm not making fun of the franchise. I'm, I'm saying when you're at the bottom of this league, you have to overpay in every regard, including the trade, including everything to get these type of players to eventually turn the corner. So uh, I'm all in on this move. I'm all in this contract. Nothing about this screams. Yikes, at least for the next two to three seasons in Chicago. A couple other NFL notes. Um, I've been monitoring some free agent stuff, some historical free agent stuff, like for instance, Von Miller's contract in Buffalo. 
Um, and as it may pertain to players like Leonard Williams and those who are coming up here, buyer beware. Okay. All right. We are in some serious devaluation stuff. All right. And we saw this coming. I've had conversations on this show, uh, maybe not in a while, but you know, the Yannick Ngakwe, the Jadavian Clownies of the world, those players were 27, 28, 29 when they were going through their financial struggles, find, you know, struggling to find a multi-year guarantee. They really still haven't, neither of those players. And you can add Justin Houston, who's had to go year to year for about five straight seasons. My point is this, the Bills went huge on Vaughn Miller, pulling him out of maybe his peak situation, right? Get traded out of Denver, hit the Rams running, make an impact, win a Super Bowl, hit free agency. I mean, holy cow, right? Could you ask for something better? The Bills banked in and overpaid Dallas and overpaid big, big players to bring in Miller on what feels now like an old school contract, a six-year, $120 million free agent contract that is at least $53 million over the next three seasons, right? So last year, this year, and next year. Um, basically, all of next year is locked in right now. There's an injury guarantee on about $6 million remaining for next year, which is as good as gold to Von Miller. Um, and then it's, it's year to year. So there's only one more real season of pain here. And it's about $17.5 million cash total. My point is this, there's still three years of term left. Now they were fluffy out of the gate. You can tell me that I'm making a big deal out of nothing because this was really a two to three year contract on its face. Agreed. The point is this, if a lot of this league by the age of 29, is going down to one year, $5 million incentive-based contracts, even for edge rushers, look out rest of the league. Look out every other position, all right? Because I do feel like this has been a long time coming. Um, we are seeing the release points of quarterbacks and the release timing of quarterbacks increase, or excuse me, decrease every single year, right? Joe Burrow was the best example of that last night against Vaughn Miller, who could not even lay a fingernail on him because of the release timing that Burrow has really ascertained since he walked into LSU. That's really what the big change was with him is his lightning quick brain, maybe because of all that sleep he's getting and his ability to just process and execute as quick as any quarterback in the league. That's the model. That's what every quarterback is being taught to do. That's what NFL teams are looking to draft and acquire, which is only going to devalue the edge rusher even more. I'm not saying the Nick Boses of the world aren't going to get their money. They are as a second contract. And then look out. So we're talking a rookie contract, maybe a fifth-year option, a three-year guarantee on a sophomore extension, and that's it. This position specifically is going to become devalued at the age of 28, 29, not unlike the running back, because timing is everything. And the second these guys lose a step and quarterbacks have increased their ability to basically avoid pass rush with the timing of their passes and the timing of their offensive plays, it only makes sense. One plus one equals two here. So buyer beware on some of these defensive contracts that whether they're getting to free agency or they're being extended out of rookie contracts, just understand that if you see players holding out, if you see players scrounging for every dollar and you think this guy's a superstar, why is he doing this? This is why every non-quarterback position has to have the red flag right now Flag, you know, flashing in front of them. Every agent should be thinking about this. There are not many positions in this league that are going to get true 
third contracts. True. I'm saying multi-year guarantees the, the right way, like the quarterback will, right? Kirk Cousins is going to be on the contract number five in terms of multi-year guarantees. It's where things are headed. So even the best players who hit the market at the best scenarios are going to face this kind of stuff soon because of where we're headed with quarterback pay and because of how the offensive scheming and the timing of things is really changing models. Who's going to benefit from this financially? Secondary. Cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers who are versatile and can cover. They're going to start making a boatload of money. They are already. They're going to catch up even more. All right. Usually it's the top cornerbacks in the league make what the top wide receivers in the league make. I think that can, I think that can be flipped on its head. Why? Because teams need five wide receivers. Now, if you have three great cornerbacks, you're a superstar defense, as we're seeing with some of these teams out there, right? The, the Eagles literally used third and fourth cornerbacks yesterday to beat the Dallas Cowboys down the stretch, who kind of beat themselves anyway. So positionally speaking, I think we're having a little bit of a come to Jesus moment where edge rushers and things like that, not so much the, the D linemen because they're kind of unicorn players when they get as good as players like Donald and Chris Jones and whatnot, speaking of big contracts that are coming, or maybe not. All right, and let's finish with that before we move to baseball. There's a reason that the Chiefs have been lowballing Chris Jones, and it ain't production because he's still doing that at an extremely high level. If you don't think that they see this coming, all right, you're crazy. They know exactly what's going to happen when even a Hall of Fame player like Chris Jones loses a half a step against the Herberts, against the Burrows, against all of the AFC quarterbacks that Chris Jones is going to be asked to stop as a member of the Chiefs for the next two to three years guaranteed. There's a reason that the Chiefs haven't just poured the money out to him. Age, physicality, and where the offenses are going. They don't want to lose Chris Jones, but they don't want to pay Chris Jones top of the market money either, knowing he's a half a step away from being average. And that's awful. That's a terrible way to, to do business, but it is the NFL and it is a the no fun league, right? So I would not be shocked, folks, if where we're headed here. And again, remember, he basically got Saquon Barkley's incentive-laden restructure for one year. I would not be shocked if where we're headed with Kirk Jones is an open market that is not nearly as fruitful as we think it's going to be. Just be expected. Just, just wait for this and see where this is going. I may be a few years too early on this. There still may be bad teams that want to overpay for a player like that. But a good team just paid for Von Miller and he gave him about six weeks of great work last year. Took, took an injury that unfortunately in his age is just impossible to get all the way back from. Now apparently has lost that, ha that half step and is not even coming close to touching quarterbacks and offenses that are timing things perfectly to avoid rushers just like himself. All right. Gold Glovers were announced yesterday in Major League Baseball. It is a interesting time of year because most people don't even know that things are being passed out, right? Awards are being passed out. We just got off the World Series. There's some momentum for this offseason, especially with players like Otani becoming available. But the Gold Glove stuff is always interesting because this is not a popularity contest. It's one of my favorite things I get to do every year is detail this list. I do have an article on spotchart.com right now that goes through all of the winners by position, their financial statuses, where we're headed, headed with some of these contracts, um, where they ranked in 2023, financially speaking, 
and all of that. A um, couple of notable names. Texas posted three players. No surprise there. They built themselves a team that could not just hit, but was also pretty damn nice in terms of the uh, the backstop, the middle infield, things like that. Um, didn't even find Marcus Semien on this list. Didn't even find Corey Seager on this list. The three Texas Rangers are Adolis Garcia, the power hitter, who, no surprise, has a massive arm out in right field and had 11 assists out in right field. Jonah Heim, the catcher, actually a local guy for me here in Buffalo, who may become the most famous Buffalo baseball player ever at some point in time, not named Warren Spahn, of course. He's going to bank in arbitration next year. And Nathaniel Lau, the first baseman, who kind of took a step back from a, a, a hitting standpoint because he got dropped down the lineup with all these horses now, one through five. But he gets his second, uh, excuse me, his first gold glover as a first baseman for the Texas Rangers. A couple of Arizona Diamondbacks, Gabriel Moreno, the catcher. So both World Series catchers find themselves gold glove winners. Uh, I mentioned Moreno because he is basically in his rookie year. He got called up late in September 2022, so he didn't qualify as a rookie for 2023. But for all intents, playing out his full for, for first full season, he is a blockbuster extension candidate. All right. We know that they just signed Corbin Carroll last year, eight years, $100 million. Uh, Moreno should be next on this list, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of solid outfielders to pay and things like that. And Christian Walker, uh, this guy feels like the 15-year backstop of a really nice team. So I would be jumping all over, buying out the next five years of his team control with something that looks nice, maybe a mini version of what Corbin Carroll just got because this guy's going to hit as well. Um, others, a couple of free agents to be here. Matt Chapman, the third baseman for Toronto, who we've talked about quite a bit. Had a phenomenal start, really teetered off from a production standpoint at the plate, but it didn't take anything away from his defense. This guy is maybe one of the top two defensive third basemen in all of baseball right now. Uh, Brian Hayes, the National League winner, certainly in this conversation. You can't discount Nolan Arenado still. He's still in this conversation. I think he won like nine straight of these. So it's kind of a, you know an unbelievable that he wasn't even a finalist this year, but that goes along with the entire Cardinal season, to be honest. Uh, Chapman's a free agent to be. It's kind of tough to tell, but this is going to help. You know, just remembering. Oh, oh yeah, if we have massive liabilities at our third at our hot corner right now, this is one of those guys that is probably going to hit thirty doubles, probably going to hit twenty five home runs, and is going to save runs at third base for us. So, all the contenders that need this kind of position, he's going to be in the conversation. It's why cousin Dan believes that if he's a fifteen million dollar player in our system. It could be more like 18 or 20 if a couple of these big boys start to come in and swing it, and I think they will. Kevin Kiermeyer, we've talked about him a little bit as well. He was signed to be the Blue Jays center fielder, defensively speaking, to get George Springer out of center field so that he stopped getting hurt so that he could go up there and mash the ball like he's being paid to do. It, it essentially worked. I think Springer still battled some injuries, but... Kiermaier was electric in center field, and he has been his whole career, kind of lost in Tampa Bay's outfield for a while. This is what you do, all right? This is what you do. This is his fourth gold glove. He made $9 million last year to be a platoon player. I think that's exactly what he should be again this year, whether it's back with Toronto or on another team that wants to adopt this kind of philosophy. This is not a wasted roster spot. This guy steals bases, plays phenomenal defense. He does hit. He's not a liability at the plate by any means. But he's also 33 going on 34 years old. So you're not going to break the bank. 
but this is a solid above average platoon player, something every single roster needs in Major League Baseball, especially if you're in contention in 2024. We mentioned Garcia. Um, look, he's like a $5 million valuation for arbitration one in our system for the Rangers who are already paying out of their mind for much of their lineup. I think logic says that if they want to avoid and not, and not go to an actual hearing with him in the first year of arbitration, which is, it's important. All right. It's really important. We've heard a lot of stories about players that have gone to arbitration and walk away from that court here and basically saying, I'm never signing a contract with this team ever because that was the nastiest smear campaign I've ever had to go through. Cause that's what it is. It's just everybody bringing their worst to the table to try to devalue the other side, you know, because they want to save $500,000 for the upcoming season. I think if you're going to want to keep this guy happy and avoid arbitration hearings, you're going to have to approach six, maybe even six and a half million in the first year of arbitration. And by the way, this only bolsters that idea. He's not just a, you know, a masher at the plate that he had to intentionally walk to get around for a while there. He's also an absolute stud in right field and has the arm that should hold up for the next five, six seasons. So you want to avoid everything and just pay this guy a long-term contract? I'm in. I think it's probably a smart move. This Texas lineup is not going away. They've already invested so much. Sure, they've got some pitching stuff to fill in the blanks with, and that's going to be costly in some cases, especially if it means bringing back Jordan Montgomery on whatever kind of $200 million contract he might be looking at. But this is not a guy you want to screw around with. It's a home run league. This is a home run hitter who can also play defense. That is not a combination we see too often right now in baseball. So he's got all the resume he needs to enter arbitration. Can Texas avoid it in some manner over the next couple of weeks? Okay, a couple more names here. Christian Walker, speaking of the World Series, didn't have the best run down the stretch. He's an absolute stud. This is his second consecutive gold glove at first base. He's in the final year of team control. He's headed to the last round of arbitration with Arizona. Should make around 12, 12 and a half million for his efforts. They're not paying many players. All right. And this guy's definitely a hometown favorite. As you heard the crowd chant his name during his struggles down the stretch here. He's definitely an extension candidate. This is also a position that a lot of teams are deciding not to pay. I don't know where he, you know, where he fits in this. We've seen hometown favorite first baseman in Freddie Freeman walk out the door after, after the World Series, after an MVP World Series. So it's not like this isn't becoming a thing, speaking of positional changes. He's almost 33 years old. So it's not like you're pumping, you know, a, a sophomore extension into this guy's belt. You're not doing that. All right. This is going to be a tempered contract, if at all. I tend to think they let this thing get to the get to the finish line. And they see what kind of player he looks like in July. And it's possible they're trading him because they have prospects galore. Now, they need to do a better job of balancing the young with the old. So I do think having him in this lineup is the right move. But if he's sitting here right now in winter meetings and his agent's basically saying, look, you got to give us four years or, or we want to look at a better situation, I don't blame him. This is his one time to strike. You know, He's made less than $700,000 for five straight years, 2.6 in 2022, 6.5 in 2023. And like I said, he should approach $13 million in his last season. So this is his first real time to cash in big. How about we just throw away this arbitration year, sign a three-year extension, you know, maybe something that looks like 
Ian Happ and Nico Horner, both around this list, who got three-year extensions prior to their last year of arbitration with the Cubs. Kind of a good faith move that worked out really nicely for Chicago. It's probably not the worst idea in the world, right? How about we just take that $12 million I'm supposed to make and make it three for 36 and everybody's happy and we go from there because I love being here. I just need to be compensated in the one window I have to do so. A couple of pitchers, Zach Wheeler, former New York Mets player that should never have left. Um, I bring him up for this. It is really rare. Like maybe Max Scherzer is the only version of this, the Washington Nationals Max Scherzer, where guy hits free agency, especially a pitcher with all the arm issues, hits free agency, signs a gigantic blockbuster free agent contract. And every single year of that contract, you think to yourself, man, that was 100% worth it. It just doesn't happen really in any sport, right? Especially with baseball pitchers and their arm injuries. But Scherzer did that in Washington. And Zach Wheeler is about to do that in Philadelphia. All right. He is entering a contract season with the Phillies. 23 and a half million left in 2024. I don't know why they wouldn't extend him. All right. I don't know why, unless they just think that that arm has had too many miles on it and they are playing with fire, thinking about going any further than one more year. He's 33 and a half right now. So you're talking 34 years old in the 2024 season. I don't think you have to overpay him to keep him. I think he's just looking for a multi-year guarantee at this point, right? His valuation in our system is right around that $23 million mark that he's going to make next year. So it would, to me, in my opinion, it's literally just tacking on seasons. Should Philadelphia do it? I think so. If they're not going to do it with Aaron Nola, who's set to become a free agent right now, I think you have to keep one of the two, even if both are both have considerable risks because of age and and decline and things like that. So another gold glove for Zach Wheeler to go with a ridiculous resume, really since 2018. This guy hasn't approached a four ERA since 2017. All right, the whips the past three seasons are basically at one flat. He's got almost 20 combined war over the past three seasons. And he's made on average 30 starts a year over the past three seasons. So I don't know what else you can ask for. We can talk about this guy having injury problems and he's had a couple here and there, but man, oh man, the past three years have been an absolute dream for Philadelphia. They are happy to pay this guy 25 million a year. And I know they're willing to do it for one more year. One of the bigger winter questions is, will they push this thing out a couple extra years, maybe through age 36, fully guaranteed, and keep this guy in the fold? I don't know why you wouldn't outside of the risk, but everything in baseball comes with a risk, and it's not my money, so go and spend it. Okay, last thing. Let's talk about the timeline of Major League Baseball. Like I said in the open, Today is actually the beginning of the league year. Okay, free agency, some option decisions are due. There's a lot going on here. Qualifying offer tenders open up today. So the Cody Bellingers of the world, the Matt Chapmans of the world, certainly the Otanis of the world will be slapped with a 20.6 million. I don't have it in front of me. It's around 20 million. Qualifying offer, almost nobody's going to sign it. I, I can't imagine we get anybody this year having remembered the list. Um, but if you think about notable free agents we have coming up here, maybe a dozen or so get get the offer today or over the next couple of days. Those players have until November 14th to say yes or no to that qualifying offer. That's also the, the last date of the 40-man protection deadline. So 
That's basically been Dan Soman's life in Track for the past few weeks. He is trying to figure out the prospects that have to be protected out of the Rule 5 draft, which is going to happen on December 6th. Those players will be added to the 40-man, which means players have to be taken off the 40-man, either via trade, via non-tender, via outright and designated for assignment. Certainly go through the waivers process. Lots of movement over the next two weeks because of it. So there's some notable prospects running out of options that are going to be eligible for the Rule 5 draft that will have to be added to the 40-man roster of each team. And that's going to make mean shakeup and movement, which is fun for us. Um, you mentioned arbitration. The negotiation deadline for arbitration is January 12th. So plenty of time on that. But it kind of sneaks up on you with the holidays, you know, and a lot of teams take off. There's three or four different versions of winter meetings, the GM, the team, the owner, um, and then the actual league winter meetings that where we talk about rule changes and things like that. So there's a lot of minutia within this offseason, which I completely disagree with. I mean, let's just get to the players and let's focus on promoting the players and actually make this something that people care about or maybe even know about, but they do all their dirty business at the same time. So arbitration deadline is January 12th. After that, anybody who doesn't have a contract will go to hearings and will exchange numbers back and forth and do their thing. So it's, it's still a few months out, but it is not that far out to where we shouldn't be thinking about some of these players going back and forth and maybe getting into ugly situations like we had with Corbin Burns last year, by the way, and a Brewers team that has already started to sort of break things up, right? Brandon Woodruff injury may be out for the whole year. Their manager is interviewing with a half dozen big teams right now, Craig Council, and Corbin Burns is on an expiring arbitration situation. Could be a gigantic trade piece. We have a trade candidate piece live on Track right now, and he is obviously one of the featured players in that article. So free agency today, option decisions are due today. Qualifying offers can start to be handed out today. And then in about a week, we'll come back and talk about those offers, talk about some of the players that got protected, uh, maybe give a list of Rule 5 eligible candidates from Dan that could be moving around. It's not really a sexy podcast content, but look, it's what we're doing here, okay? It's part of this offseason. It's important part as teams try to get cheaper and younger and better. So... Um, the Dodgers of the world always go this route. The Cleveland Guardians always utilize this. And your, uh, your savvy GM, your savvy front offices use every facet possible. International signings, which are January 15th, Rule 5, which is December 6th, and certainly the non-tender stuff to kind of manipulate their 40-man process throughout the offseason. So it's a nerdy as hell next couple of months for Major League Baseball. It'll be mixed in with I think some blockbuster contracts, right? The Otani stuff, maybe a Pete Alonso extension, which I've detailed on Track recently. And then a bunch of good pitchers, right? Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, to name a few, Jordan Montgomery. And we'll see what happens. Will these, will these 30 plus year veterans continue to hold up the fort and sign big, big contracts? Or is baseball getting younger and cheaper as quickly as possible in front of our eyes? Um, it's definitely something we've been watching for a while. And it's the same conversation I was having with you about the National Football League because of their quarterback situation and their unbalanced payrolls. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>